One of the things that I like most about teaching is the variety of languages that I tend to encounter in the classroom. These days, it's Vietnamese, Korean, Tagalog, or English, with bits of French here and there. The language of instruction here at the school I teach is English, which usually comes as a second, third, or sometimes even fourth language to the students that uh, we work with. In today's episode, I'm taking a look at life in the classroom with English language learners through the eyes of a teacher. Welcome to That High School Life. Hey, it's Joe, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the show. Last episode, we caught up with a second-year IB student who had just come back from summer break. It's November now, and in this episode, we're turning things around and talking to a teacher here. But before I go any further, I'll let my guest today introduce herself. Thanks for coming to the show. My pleasure. Um, so I'm Diana Sorobi, and I've taught high school for most of my career, which is now 11 years. Um, so I'm currently teaching grade 9 through 12. Uh, the, the last two years, I was the elementary English language learning coordinator. Um, so I worked with students from grade 1 through 8 in that role, uh, though we mostly focused on interventions for kids in grade 4 through grade 8, where the language demands become higher. Uh, currently, I'm teaching English courses. Um, I have a lot of English language learners in my courses, uh, both because I teach streams that focus on those newer in the language acquisition process and because I'm teaching in Vietnam. And like Joe explained, uh, English is an additional language for most of the students here, and their bilingualism uh, gives them a lot of strength and power. So in terms of uh, teaching in a classroom that's focused on language development, um, so you mentioned you've been a teacher for 11 years, but how long specifically have, been, have you been looking at um, language acquisition or development in students? Really my whole career. Um, I actually started teaching Ukrainian as a second language in my first year teaching. So I began as a language teacher first, and I, I have always enjoyed learning all languages. I'm bilingual in Ukrainian and English, so I sort of gravitated throughout my career into English and social studies a little bit more, but that language teaching is uh, what I began with in my uh, teaching degree, and it's always been a focus. In terms of having taught uh, language for so long, um, personally for you, what would you say is one of the things that you like most about doing this? I think that communication is an essential skill for students to have, and as they get better at it, their confidence in all areas of life can increase. So that's one of the most rewarding things is as students become more confident in their speaking, their reading, their writing. I love that. I also love that the curriculum isn't necessarily prescriptive. We have to study works of literature, but I can choose a novel that the students are interested in, something that uh, helps broaden their horizons. It doesn't have to be the one that's in the syllabus where if I was teaching a, a content area like science, you must cover X, Y, and Z for the test. 
So I love the freedom that language teaching affords in that I can make the class as engaging as possible for my students and make the lessons help them in the real world. For me, I, as a student, loved language classes because I saw their applicability to the real world much faster than I saw that with other things. Have you noticed any major differences between classrooms um, that don't have a specific language uh, acquisition focus and ones that do? Yes and no. I think that uh, all teachers really have to be language teachers in order to make the learning for their students successful. If you think about learning in history, while there are specific outcomes and specific topics that need to be covered, the students aren't going to understand them without a lot of explicit teaching of the vocabulary. So really, if you think about how students study, the most effective way for them to study is for them to review and understand a set of vocabulary that's subject-specific. So while I like teaching language because of the additional freedom, I think teachers would be, they'd be going down the wrong path just to teach content and not to explain the language that is interwoven with that content. For sure. And one of the things we're often reminded here of at our school is that we're language teachers first before we're content uh, area teachers. And do you feel that holds true uh, overall? Absolutely. I think that all teachers have to find ways to make the language of their subject explicit. And some people can even argue that math is a language. All subjects are ways of expressing and ways of understanding the world. So you can teach them in the same way that you can teach language by deconstructing the elements and helping students understand how to put them together and practice using them. We're often told that we need to prepare students um, for the real world. We need to set them up for success with 21st century skills. Um, now, 21st century skills can mean a lot of things, but let's talk about language. In terms of uh, the Vietnamese students and international students in general, what do you feel the role of ELL is um, in a school like ours that focuses so much on global competency? So I, I feel like students come into our school determined that this is going to be the gateway to a future in a developed country, a developed economy, and at least interacting with the English-speaking world because it is the language of commerce, it's the language that connects them to other markets, and their families see their success in our school and in the school systems they're headed for as the key to a prosperous future. So that bears a lot of weight. Students who come into our system at later grades have some habits that they need to break, and it, it can be harder for them. It's, it's a bit of a culture shock, even though they're not leaving the country. If they transfer from a public school into our school, we're trying to cultivate critical thinking, collaboration skills, creativity, and communication. So our students while their families are buying into these skills that we are cultivating by using a more progressive curriculum and by having teachers who are trained in more than just following a textbook. But there, there's an adjustment period for them to understand yeah. what they've signed up for. And part, it's part of our job to help them understand why we're learning in a certain style and how this is going to help them in the future that movement or thinking out of the box kind of hap has to happen in stages. Absolutely. And 
part of the the ELL support or English as an additional language support that they get is helping them transition and helping them become competent in these skills that they haven't exercised if they're transferring in. So communication is a big part of it, but they also have to understand the the different learning philosophy. One of the questions I had, uh, especially for you, is that you've taught uh, across multiple panels. So you've taught in the elementary division, you, you're now in the secondary division. And as you guide students through that transitionary process, is there any particular area in their language learning experience that they should pay attention to? I think that's different for every student. One thing universally that makes language grow faster is reading um, and actual interest in the reading. So I would suggest that our students could view books differently in that, like I was saying in the previous question, the, the culture shock often books are viewed as a tool of like follow and regurgitate instead of a story to enjoy. And once students understand that they can engage and that reading can be fun, that opens a whole new gateway. Otherwise, I think it's important for them to become reflective on their learning because if they're getting feedback from their teachers saying that they should remember to put an S on a plural, for example, then they have to reflect on that and actually make that change because each child is going to be good at some things and need work on other areas. So reflection is the key, I think. Reading and reflection, these are skills you know, that won't help students just transitioning from elementary to secondary, but obviously from uh, secondary to whatever their post-secondary life takes them to. And beyond, even now, right? Reading and reflecting, I think we, we need to do that as teachers too, yeah, sometimes it can, it's, it's very easy to get lost in what you're doing and not look back on it when you have time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. That is something that we definitely need to do more of, especially given our profession. Yeah, but I'm, I'm guilty of it. It gets busy. Mm-hmm. There are lots of people's needs that we're looking after, and sometimes ours get thrown by the wayside when things yeah. get... Which leads me to my next question. So here at our school, we're always reminded that we're language teachers first, subject teachers second. But in the secondary division, teaching, whether you're teaching Ontario curriculum, whether you're teaching the international baccalaureate curriculum, which are both pretty content heavy, we can get pretty focused on that content. Um, And as somebody with years of experience in this area, what are some ways you found yourself putting the idea of being a language teacher first, a subject teacher second, into practice? So this does take some practice for sure, because... I I like to have a lesson plan. I feel like I'm more efficient in the classroom if I've got a goal that I'm working towards. I've started to take a lot more notes about my students and record grades as a secondary thing. So instead of just, okay, he got 20 out of 25 on this assessment, that doesn't tell me much about where I need to go next. So my marks books used to look like a list of numbers, and now they start to look more like, okay, there's a number here. But I've got a lot of, I've now turned them into, there's a column of, this was good, work on this. Um, So I'm trying to keep more detailed notes that way. If a student comes to me and says, what do I need to do? I need to improve. I can look and have something intelligent to give them. Make these numbers higher. Exactly. (laughs) Numbers, I, I, I understand why we have grades, but I don't think that they... They teach the students how to improve, and I encourage my students to reflect on that. 
So for my practice, I, I find taking more detailed notes about students' competencies helps me. And also differentiation can be exhausting, but it can be really rewarding for the students. There are days where everybody needs to do the same thing, but my awareness through taking notes and understanding where my students are at tells me that if I have 15 students in a class, they're all at different levels of proficiency with what we're doing. And I need to know where they're starting at so that I don't lose them, don't bore them. So a lot of exemplars of strong work, that's become a favorite. And it's another thing that we collect as we have experience teaching the same course over, or sometimes we have to create them ourselves. So those are very helpful. I've also learned which words to spend time teaching. There are some words that just naturally people will learn quickly. Uh, usually nouns tend to be easy. You can see a visual. Okay, this is what I call that thing. It's in my mind fairly easily. It's the verbs and adjectives that can be useful across subjects that students need to see around them and need to have some practice with because I find that they can use repetitive ones and that's something to really elevate. Um, I've used a lot more visuals. And another practice that I, I feel has been good is I'm also modeling for the students. Uh -huh interest in learning a second language. So I picked this up at a PD session and I love the idea. I'm trying to learn Vietnamese and my journey isn't going as well as I had hoped. Vietnamese. After four years, I'm at a very basic level, but my students love teaching me new words. So on my whiteboard, I've just got magnetized a list of new words as I want to say something to the, the cleaner in my classroom or if I'm wondering how to say something, I'll ask the students, and then it lets them know that I actually have to write things down in order to remember them, that this is a strategy I'm using, and that I'm not perfect, I'm a lifelong learner, so I've, I've liked that practice too. There's, there's something to be said about your students seeing you make mistakes uh, with another language. I don't know what it is, but they enjoy seeing me muddle up pronunciation or accents. Um, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but I find that that's a good way to, to relate to them and kind of just to get them talking. Like maybe it gets them laughing at me or making fun of me, but they're talking. Yeah, it's a great way to build rapport. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they, they enjoy seeing you muddle it up, yeah. but they also then give some confidence because they're the expert there. Yeah. So it, it makes that relationship more of a mutual one because often you have to give them some feedback about how to make something better. So to enter into that mutually sometimes gives them the understanding that it's okay to mess up. Do you find it becomes easier to correct them, like in, in the way that they're using a word, um, once you've shown them that you make mistakes as well? Yeah, they're more open to it. It's not as threatening. Diana, we're coming up to the conclusion of our interview, but and this is the last question, so it might turn into a wider conversation. Um, but for teachers who are just starting, um, do you have any advice for them as they just get into the classroom? Yeah, um, I think it's important that they collaborate with other teachers, especially teachers who are teaching the same subject or who might teach the same students. But just talking to your colleagues because they might have an idea that saves you time. Seize PD opportunities. Seek them out. Uh, I was lucky enough to have an amazing mentor for my first two 
or three years of teaching. And she sort of said to me, you should go to this session, go do this. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to find those opportunities myself. So I found that really helpful. On that note, just having a trusted mentor that you can bounce ideas off, who can help walk you through what to do also when you mess up because it's bound to happen. Um, so you need somebody who's been there, who's got a little bit of experience, who you trust not to judge you when you make those mistakes, who you trust to help you when you've got a dilemma because they're bound to happen. Ask a million questions. Ask even if you feel like you're doing something wrong, don't be afraid. We all make mistakes. And as long as you have a trusted staff around you or seek out the people that you do trust, ask for their advice, ask for their help. I find teachers are, are a very helpful kind of people. We've gone into this business for a reason. Work hard. It's going to be hard the first few years, but understand that you'll never, ever have it all done. So there's a point where you tap out and go and still enjoy your life. Yeah, the grading never stops. <laughs> never, never. And you could always plan a lesson that's just a little bit more mind-blowing if you spent an extra half an hour, but your sleep is going to make you a more coherent person in front of those kids the next day. I also would ask students to complete reflections often because it informs the students how they're learning and it also gives you insight about what they're picking up from your lessons. Uh, a quick five-point Google form once at the end of every month. It's something that I, I often do when I'm teaching a new course. I still do it now, although I, I kind of gotten out of the habit, but it's a good reminder even for me. Yeah, and like it goes back to what you said, you know, ask questions, even if it, whether it's of your colleagues or your students. Like, I still ask my students, what did you think of this lesson? What do you think of this new thing that I used? And sometimes they'll tell me, Mr. Joe, that was a god-awful idea. Never do it again. Or they'll say, that was a great idea. Keep doing it. But I think you're right. Seeking feedback from both sides is super important, especially for you know, those teachers who are just getting into the classroom. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Definitely. On the other side of that now, um, as an international teacher, both in terms of um, getting ready for an international classroom or even just getting ready to... Uh, to move overseas, uh, what are your thoughts on that for people who are considering making that jump? Teaching is teaching anywhere, but internationally it can be more of a challenge because the student population you'll be working with, the surrounding society are unfamiliar. So first I would say get acquainted with the local culture and make local friends. They can show you things and if your friends are uh, people from the culture that a lot of your students will be from, you'll understand things on a different level. When you're in someone's house, hanging out with them, you'll, you'll understand the, the same kind of thinking that your students and their families will uh, experience. So mm -hmm. definitely get acquainted with the culture and keep an open mind. The other big piece of advice I would say is once you've come abroad and you're in the classroom, don't assume anything. Yes. Don't assume that your students have a baseline in something. Don't assume that they see it the same way. Have them explain and elaborate. Mm -hmm. So your example of the student telling you 
that was a bad idea, a lot of them won't be brave or bold enough to give you that sort of honest feedback. I know in Vietnam, teachers are held in very high regard, which is one of the things that makes this experience wonderful. But students would feel like they were stepping out of line if they gave you any criticism, where sometimes that criticism is constructive and it helps you be a better teacher. Yeah, sometimes the, uh, the head nodding, you're not sure if they're doing that as a way to say yes or just as a way to get you to stop talking and asking them questions. Um, but I agree, you know, it's important to trust them, but it's also important to double check and confirm. <laughs> Dana, I got to say thank you for coming in to share your thoughts. Really appreciate it. Um, ELL, again, no matter where you are, no matter what you're teaching, um, or just any type of language acquisition is super important. And I'm glad that I could have you as a guest on the show today. Thank you for having me. That about wraps up episode two of That High School Life. Um, if you're just tuning into the show, thanks for joining us today. And if you're a recurring listener, thanks for listening in again. In the next episode, we'll be interviewing uh, in Hong Kong and we'll be speaking to an educational technology professional and unpacking what that means and how it affects people in the classroom. Until then, see you soon. Have a good one.